Previously on Half Past Five. Darn it, the power's out. Hey, no problem. The switch to the backup generator is on the other side of this room. Here it is. Oh my god, someone's murdered Glenn! Angelica Sheen? Host of Gloss every Wednesday from 10pm to midnight right here at KUCI? It was you? Yeah, I did it. And you know what? I'd do it again. You monster! Get out of here! Now for this week's episode. Glenn? Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I think he's waking up. Nurse! Nurse! Come quick! Mr. Glenn? Uh, Mr. Glenn, can you hear me? Come on, Glenn, say something. Paxton? Oh, thank god. Where am I? What's going on? Mr. Glenn, I'm not quite sure how to tell you this, but there was an attempt on your life last week. You've been in a coma. How long? I'm sorry? How long was I out? Seven days. But hey, it's good to see you awake, buddy. I knew you'd pull through. Now, if you're feeling up to it, I believe we've got a show to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think so. Glenn's been in hospital care for the last week. He's undergone major physical trauma. It's going to take months, maybe years, of intense physical therapy before he can get back out there and work again. But the show is supposed to start now. Who's going to do the intro? I don't know, Mr. Glenn, but it's definitely not going to be you. Not for a good, long while, anyway. Oh, yeah? We'll just see about that. It's time for a training montage. Time to get Glenn back in shape. It's been one week since he fell into a coma. Blah, blah, something that rhymes with shape. Too bad. Radios and auditory medium, so we can't show you all the Hard work Glenn and Paxton are gonna do Like walking with the nurse through the hospital house house. Glenn's having some trouble standing and so he takes a foul He feels bad and so he looks down in shame Then Paxton helps him back up and motivates him to try again Oh, Glenn's hitting a punching bag. Oh, oh, but he's getting winded. Oh, he's cracking raw eggs into a blender now. Oh, he blends it. Oh, that's so gross. Oh, is he gonna drink it? He tries. Nah, nah, he can't do it. It's too gross. Now he's doing push-ups with Paxton, while Paxton sits crisscross on his back while drinking hot tea and reading a book. Oh, but Glenn's too weak. He can only do a couple push-ups. Oh, oh, he fell. Better luck next time, Glenn. We're all, we're all pulling for you. We know you can do it. Oh, but what's this? Glenn's doing better now at walk in the halls. It's clearly hard for him, but he manages not to fall. Now he's trying the punching bag again. Ooh, he's getting better. The eggs are now less hard for him to drink, and his push-ups are improving too. Yeah, look at him go. Look at him go. Look at you, Glenn. Oh, he's running on the beach. Paxton's timing him on a stopwatch, and Paxton seems impressed with his time. Now he's balancing some books on his head. I don't quite understand how that helps, but Glenn's really good at it, so good for Glenn. Now Glenn's flash dancing in an abandoned warehouse. That seems... 
seems completely irrelevant to the task at hand. And yeah, I get that now they're doing like a footloose kind of thing, but it's still just, well, it's kind of weird. Oh my God, now he's running up the side of a snowy mountain. It's amazing. He's come so far in this last minute and 30 seconds. Wow, I don't believe it. So Glenn, how do you feel? Exhausted? Sore? Scared? Good. You're ready. Breaking news. It's an event people are calling inspirational, awe-inspiring, motivating, and other synonym. Glenn, announcer for the critically acknowledged college radio program, Half Past Five, is back. That's right, Bob. The nation was left in mourning last week when news broke that a brutal attempt had been made on the life of the announcer for the radio program. He fell into a coma, one from which doctors thought he may never wake up. But just one week later, something happened which would be described as nothing short of miraculous. Glenn would snap out of his coma right there in his hospital bed. Let's go live now to our satellite footage at Madison Square Garden in New York City, where Glenn is expected to make his first public appearance since the attack. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the lead singer of U2, Bono! Thank you, thank you. You know, your applause has always bring a joy to my heart. It's what's kept my love of performance alive and well for decades now. But I'm not the man you should be applauding today. I'm not the man we've come here to celebrate. No, today we are gathered to celebrate the valiant and courageous effort fought by a man far greater and far braver than I could ever hope to be. Truly, one of the most awe-inspiring and remarkable individuals I've ever had the fortune to know. I'm, of course, talking about Glenn. Glenn, get out here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You really, you too. <laughs> I think, thank you. Thank, really, really, thank you. You know, I stand before all of you today not as the extremely successful and beloved announcer of a not particularly successful or beloved college radio show, but as a man. A man who has been humbled and who has been touched by the waves of love, support, and generosity he has received from countless people all across this great nation of ours and the world beyond it. From my dearest friends and family to the hundreds of millions of beautiful spirits out there who I've never had the pleasure of meeting. Each and every one of you has played an immeasurable role in my speedy recovery, and I assure you, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for all of you. So, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Now let's get to what you all came here for, shall we? Take it away, Jimmy. Coming to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California. It's half past five with Paxton Wright. Tonight's guest, sports media scholar Professor Victoria Johnson. Featuring music by 
the all-seeing eye. Now, please welcome to your host, Paxton Wright. For the land of the free and the home of the Paxton, ah, come here, buddy. That was amazing. I I'm so proud of you, man. I knew you had it in you. Well, I couldn't have done it without you, boss. Tell you what, let's you and me hit the bar at the California Pizza Kitchen. Ah, drinks are on me. Oh, yeah, that's listen. That's really nice, but uh, I kind of got a lot of other stuff I gotta take care of right now. You know, dealing with the press and everything. Uh, maybe, maybe another time. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no. Yeah. I, I totally feel it. Well, I mean, we could uh, hang in my hotel room afterward. We're just trying to, you know, keep it casual, order some room service, split a six-pack, watch a movie or something. Oh, yeah, no, that doesn't have to be a big deal Sounds or great. I, Yeah, no, I, again, I, I totally would. I, but I just think I might flight back to Orange County super early tomorrow morning. I really just think it's best I just kind of get back to my hotel uh, room. Yes, no, <laughs> absolutely, man. Call I feel it a night. Uh, no, another time. Yeah, man. sorry. No, 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 it's all good. Well, so I'll uh, I'll see you back at the station then? Uh-huh. Hey, Willa, Jaden, so glad you guys could make it out. I better see you guys at the marquee tonight for the after party, duh. Everybody who's anybody is going to be there. Now I can be out as late as I want. I don't fly back to California till Saturday. <sighs> you love to watch them grow, but you hate to watch them outgrow you. Oh, crap, I got a show to do. Taxi! Professor Johnson. Uh, Paxton, you're like six hours late. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Traffic out of LAX, it's, it was just awful. LAX? <laughs> yeah, oh. Yeah, so you see, there was this whole thing last week where someone tried to murder the guy that does my intros, and then, then he was in a coma, and then there was this whole training montage, and we were in New York at Madison Square Garden, and Bono was there, it was this whole... Uh, Bono? Yeah, that doesn't matter. Anyway, Professor Johnson, how are you doing? Good, good. Things are good. I'm glad you're here now. Fall quarter is going by entirely too fast, though. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. But I've, I've got you on the show today because I know you've been very busy, uh, just generally and continually, but <laughs> over the summer you had a project going on, if you want to. Yes, well, and it continues to go on, but um, should be soon wrapped up, um, writing a new book project about sports television for Routledge, which is a publisher publishes academic books, um, but hopefully it'll also be readable to a broader audience as well. Um, and it really just talks about different methods for studying sports TV and its extensions, like, because I think of TV as also applying to things like Snapchat and Instagram mm -hmm. and so forth as kind of televisual forms in yeah. some way. So sports media on a whole, then. Yes, yeah. yes. So what facets about how how it is how it has changed that landscape? How the landscape has changed 
uh, as a result of it. Uh, yeah, so the book starts out by looking at the history of policy rights, um, television rights in broadcasting, which really has been what's enabled um, both television to grow and sports media themselves to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second chapter really looks at what do we talk about when we talk about the aesthetics of sports TV? How does sports TV look different from other kinds of TV? And the third chapter looks at specifically documentaries about um, uh, female athletes um, in the wake of Title IX and how Title IX has helped to encourage, and certainly the streaming era has helped to encourage uh, documentary voice for female athletes. And then it turns to kind of the question, a broader cultural, social question of the importance of sports as a venue for thinking about really charged political concepts. So, for instance, the um, controversies around Colin Kaepernick's sort of kneeling for the national anthem and uh, how broadcasters manage those kinds of controversies, but also how that um, impacts broader sort of media, things like, you know, Nike's endorsements and so forth. And then um, the project concludes with a chapter about the ways in which sports media is also a lived environment as well. So you think about things like the Rams and Chargers new stadium in Inglewood as being an inherently mediated space. Um, And also uh, the fact that, you know, uh, fans view uh, sports TV not just at home or on their phones, but in public spaces, such as stadiums themselves, but also get together at bars and things. The ways in which sports TV also exists off the edges of the TV screen. You know, of course, um, sports have adapted to an increasingly uh, mediated, sort of being a key word, uh, uh, culture. But would you say that... uh, sort of media and screen culture has also adapted to sports because sports are such a you know there's of course changes and regulations that are developed here and there but it's generally a pretty constant structure of rules or maybe i'm mistaken in that but does sports have uh an effect outward on how our technology develops too yeah, I mean, I think one of the... So this is an ongoing um, question within actually the, the few kind of academics who have written about sports media uh, have a kind of ongoing debate about which came first. Like, Was television made a, a robust industry because of sports rights in some sense? Or did sports become the media phenomenon that they've become because of television? And I think it's always both. For instance, let's take the NFL. It's sort of the big dog of all sports leagues, right? And the National Football League is now, in its own right, a complete media studio, a complete media entity. And so one of the things you see in sports is much like back uh, historically in the film industry where you had studios that were vertically integrated, uh, sports leagues are now integrated in that way in terms of being media producers, content producers, content distributors, um, and basically drivers of the health of the television industry in terms of rights deals, Mm -hmm. but also cable rights and streaming rights. And one of the things, one of the values that that has for the industry is uh, sports is relatively DVR resistant. You don't 
really uh, go back and watch uh, event after it's concluded, unless you're a super hardcore fan. Um, and Scorsese is unpredictable content, right? So it provides sticky eyeballs for the industry. Um, and increasingly, uh, with phones and tablets and laptops and things, uh, it, it, it provides a very interactive experience for viewers who typically engage with that second or third screen while watching the event on a larger TV screen. Plus, you have also the phenomenon of social media where athletes have been really encouraged to also become their own content producers and distributors um, in a way that now you see increasingly athletes having their own deals with studios, right um and their own kind of negotiation of streaming rights and things where they really become media magnets themselves right yeah it's like you look at like lebron james has become like almost a i'm trying to think of a fitting analogy kind of like a, a almost like a modern bob hope in a weird way yeah. he's doing well, everything yeah i mean his spring hill productions um has several production deals his uninterrupted is his streaming portal um and has uh obviously has a series affiliated with hbo uh with showtime and yeah he's uh definitely a major content producer mm-hmm. and you see that with other athletes as well tom brady has a production company uh, so, Shaquille um, O'Neal has Papa John's. <laughs> Shaquille is everywhere. He's everywhere. Yes, Papa John's Carnival. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would like to just sort of shift gears to uh, talk about you for a minute, if that's all right. Because um, so, you have obviously you've dedicated pretty much your entire life to the study of of sports media and the culture surrounding it, uh, especially. Because I mean, like in your previous book was. Uh, Heartland TV, primetime television, and the struggle for U.S. identity, which uh, obviously identity is in the title, the the culture that is derived from uh, uh, sports. So what is it? Like, what is about that facet of the genre that was so intriguing to you? Because, of course, you, you there's plenty of media scholars out there. There's plenty of people who work in sports. And I, I'm sure there is... I know there's overlap. But I feel like you don't hear a lot about it. What, what intrigued you about that? So, um, it's a great question. Because the first book was about um, sort of cultural mythology uh, about geography. And that book looked at the... Um, mythology of the American Midwest as a kind of imagined heartland, what now people would sort of refer to as red state mythology, um, which I was really interested in because as a native of the Midwest, I knew the Midwest I grew up in was actually very progressive and very diverse. And that wasn't what I saw on television often. That said, there were um, definitely sites within TV culture where at particularly critical moments in U.S. history, you would see either that mythology kind of doubled down on or you would see it revised in really interesting ways. So um, that book was really about kind of writing uh, back into television history, the concept of what often in the industry is referred to as the flyover uh, audience. Um, 
And so I've always been interested in, first of all, broadcast media. So network television was the focus of that first book. So basically concluding in the mid-1990s when cable kind of becomes the dominant in most homes. Um, but with the turn to broadcast digital technology, obviously broadcasting still exists. I mean, we're on radio, right? And I started thinking about sports because my interest in geography my interest in critical race theory. I'm also a faculty in African-American studies here. And my interest in television all merge around sports. So sports is sort of the intersection within media culture where questions of place, identity, uh, racial identity, and expressions of sort of political commitments uh, are, are broadly shared. Like sports remains a place where broadcasting actually still exists in its kind of idealized form in terms of audiences that are made up of multiple generations of people and often, you know, regionally defined, but also national at the same time. So uh, I was very interested in sports as a site that brought all of those ideas together, but also um, something that film and media scholars weren't really interested in looking at. Uh, most of the really, really smart work on sports happens in sociology in particular. Um, there's some great work out of gender and sexuality studies on sports and some in critical race studies, but folks who had training in looking at the texts of media, what what television looks like, um, how it's put together, what how the industry functions in terms of policy and things like that, uh, folks weren't really looking at sports in that way. There's increasingly now a group of scholars that are doing that work, which is really exciting. Um, and so hopefully this book will be in conversation with that and those folks will be able to use it in their classes. And mm -hmm. I find that, you know, students are inherently interested in sports. And like I say, it's a venue where people can talk about stuff that in other contexts might seem kind of threatening to them, um, in part because sports seem safe. It seems like everybody has a kind of entry into it. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I should actually remind, I should mention, I've had your class before, <laughs> which was all about the examination of, uh, of, of sports media and sports television, and a lot of that about the real-life narratives within the industry. You even mentioned that uh, sports and media are so... Uh, inherently symbiotic to one yes. another yes. Uh, and yet people generally stay on one side of the aisle or the other in regards to I'm into sports I'm not really into media and vice versa right. um, and but yet it's true you look at like even people who don't actively pay attention to sports know so much about what is going on in sports because they are exactly. so crucial because yeah. also it's it's broadly entertainment culture right mm -hmm. um so indeed i mean people may not follow the lakers at all but they know lebron mm -hmm. right um indeed yeah yeah and it's i mean you even look at uh the recent situation with hong kong right. um and that being now sort of one of the big hot button issues right now that was Got, the ball got rolling. I mean, eh, no pun intended, but but with uh, with the NBA and their controversy, and then was exacerbated by I mean a new realm of sports, but esports with Blizzard and their their Correct. controversy as well. Yeah. And so what's what's interesting to me about it right now is, of course, the you know you can parrot the idea that like 
oh, what does this mean for the future of the NBA? What does this mean for the future of Blizzard? But generally we know it's that until they see real fiscal drop-off, uh, they're not going to stop catering to such a lucrative market like China. Right. Um, well, but, and that's another really good point you make is that, you know, one of the things that my work has focused really on a, a, a rather, rather limited or specific U.S. based context. And there is really wonderful scholarship on the reality that, you know, major sports especially are inherently a global practice, right? Um, and again, this is where the fact that these leagues are essentially media entities becomes really interesting intersection with broader phenomena like Netflix and mm -hmm. things like that. And so I guess uh, it's a heavy question to end on, but I, I am curious, like, because of course we know that they, the, these companies are not going to change. Uh, what does it mean, do you think, and I mean, even if, I don't even know if it's possible to even get into right now, but what does it mean, the broader implications for the fact that well, yeah, I think a lot of uh, American uh, consumers of sports definitely were shocked by these recent uh, developments. But no one's really stopped watching basketball. No one's really boycotted Blizzard. And, and I mean, why would they? It's such a unique... It's such an important cultural artifact. So what does that mean for culture on a whole, do you think? Well, and it's a great question because I think, you know, the Kaepernick situation is a, is a similar one in the sense that, you know, the paradox there is that during the season in which he's essentially fired and blackballed, his jersey is the top-selling jersey in the league. And so, you know, um, that's a kind of consumerism to support a political act, right, which actually enriches the league. So, and, and that's an ongoing kind of paradox. So on the one hand, you're, by wearing a Kaepernick jersey, you're expressly aligning yourself with uh, sort of public awareness of uh, hostility toward African-American community that, and a systemic racism that Kaepernick is speaking out against. Um, but on the other hand, right, the league has its licensed merchandise that is making essentially money off of someone they have exiled from the sport. Um, and, you know, it's a kind of ongoing U.S. dilemma of kind of consuming one's way to activism. Not that there aren't folks who are, you know, doing you know, explicit activist acts, but, but for football fans, it becomes, you know, a very complex kind of identification. And, and this is also where people will retreat to, but in the end, it's entertainment and it's sports and it is my way to unplug from mm -hmm. the concerns that are really real on a daily basis. And there's, there's value in understanding the release valve of that as well. Um, so it's, it's one of the reasons it makes it very interesting to study because there's, there's not one right answer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the complexities of how it gets constructed for us as audiences um, become, you know, really important to, to analyze. Yeah. Well, on uh, that note, the future is bright. Um, but uh, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm glad you made it back in one piece. Uh, you know what? I, I'm grateful, too, that I've uh, been through a lot in these last uh, half hour. This, this half hour that has transcended time and space. But you know what? We're, we're all the better for it. 
Victoria, Professor Johnson, what should I be calling you for the sake of this interview? Uh, Victoria's fine. We'll go with Victoria. Uh, Is there a title for the book? Is there a working title? Sports sports TV. Sports TV. Very straightforward. Very easy to remember. Sports TV. That'll stick stick with me, and I'm sure it will for everyone listening. Is there a... Are we looking at a a release window for the book? Summer-ish, fall-ish, summer fall. Fantastic. Well, uh, Victoria, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate it.